the bee is more of a conduit to helping people remember uh, and rediscover their connection with the natural world because it's in us. Hello and welcome to Farm On, the podcast. I'm Joe Phillips. Today I'm speaking with Matt Willie. Matt is the founder of The Good of the Hive, an initiative whose mission is to span the globe painting no less than 50,000 honeybees on 40 to 50 murals around the world. As you'll hear in this interview, Matt was a student of Greek mythology, and I think the, the thing that sort of propelled him into his project, The Good of the Hive, reads very much like a Greek mythology or Greek tragedy. Um, he's told the story many times, but I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase it. Uh, the way that this thing started is Matt was working in his New York studio where he uh, was making a pretty good living uh, making murals for commercial clients, private clients and schools and gymnasiums and anything you could imagine. He, he was painting murals. But um, while he was in his studio this day, um, in flies a honeybee through the window. And the bee didn't look so good and it kind of found its way to the rug and just crawled along the rug and died right there. For Matt, this was no insignificant event. He watched the bee very closely, he observed it very carefully, and then afterwards got engrossed in a flurry of uh, research on honeybees. And he discovered something that I'd never heard of called altruistic suicide. And that's a phenomenon in honeybees wherein uh, if a bee is feeling sick, it will leave the hive. So to spare everyone else in the hive, all the other bees in the hive, and they do that for the good of the hive. And that's where the name for the project came about. Since that event, about six or seven years ago, Matt has been crisscrossing the country. He's painting murals on schools and fire stations. He, made a, he painted on a therapeutic beehive immersion bed. He's painted on skate parks and skateboards, you name it. He is a man on a mission. He's a living embodiment of what happens when you follow your omen and take the leap. I've interviewed Matt before. Um, I wrote a piece on him for Modern Farmer magazine. And every time we talk, I first of all feel like we run out of time because there's so much knowledge in this person and so much passion for his art that we could talk all day. But every time we talk, I'm left with a feeling that that if you just sort of give in to your inner voice and jump into the void, that good things will come to you by the very nature of the jumping. Well, listen for yourself. This is Matt and I on the phone. Uh, from his home studio in Asheville, North Carolina. I want to engage people. I want to excite people. I want to, the only way this really gets, that the initiative will be realized in its truest, fullest form is if we get millions of people aware and acknowledging and engaged in the life of the honeybee. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's the, the basis of what I'm doing. So keeping it at an inaccessible level, if I just make these really like, um, you know, and I love art that challenges artists mm-hmm. and the intellect and all of that. And I want to challenge people in different ways, but I don't want to be inaccessible with it. That makes Mm -hmm. sense. I don't want to take it to that level right now. There will be room for that in the next, you know, 48,700 Bs as I'm going (laughs) along. But Uh most of this initiative is about saying, okay, can a little kid get really excited about this? And an adult, Mm -hmm. maybe their parent and the kid are sitting there looking at it, having a conversation or anyone from any walk of life, regardless of their background in well, and they are beautiful. I mean, I was looking at some of the close-ups of the bees themselves, um, the way you paint them. I mean, if you think about it, you've, I think you've painted up to like 1,300 bees right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they're not small. Usually they're fairly large. So, uh, you know, w- one would think you could be forgiven to, for kind of minimi- minimalizing the bees into some sort of like very abstract... <laughs> um, uh, image of a bee but no these are like the hairs and the kind of the light the way the light plays on the bodies and the detail um it's like a trump loyal thing i guess you call it like the mm-hmm. cool eye kind of deal where they're sort of bouncing off the wall they're popping off with shadows behind them i mean this is a laborious process i'm guessing mm-hmm. right yeah no yeah you don't gotta tell me yeah <laughs> um, but i think what you were just saying reminded me of a story you told me before where you were painting somewhere, I can't remember where, and this uh, guy kept coming by and kind of checking it out and sort of, you know, just watching uh, over the course of a few days. And then you got to talking to this guy and it turns out he was like an ex-felon or something. And he, he, you know, one of those uh, people that just, you know, we see people a thousand times a day and we kind of make up a story about them you know, maybe definitely subconsciously and sometimes consciously just based on our own bias and background. And it sounds like this was a guy that you could have easily done that with. But yeah. through the conversation with the bees, tell, tell me what, remind me what happened there. Well, I, you know, it's funny how the stories go. I, <clears throat> I don't know anything about his history with uh, the law or felonies or any of that, but I know he had what I've seen described as prison tattoos. He had face okay. tattoos that were very primitive looking. Um, so maybe not, maybe not an actual felon, but we yeah, but probably seen some hard times. Yeah, very intense energy, and just kept walking by me and not looking. And it was at a job site at Burt's Bees where the lots of people were coming by. Um, and you get the thumbs up, you get the smile, you get the nice bees, you get the whatever, or some people talk at length. Um, but he was coming by for a couple of weeks anyway. I'd see him and he'd say nothing. He wouldn't even look. And then um, um, one day he, he approached the mural um, and I was like, oh, interesting. Um, today's the day. We're going you know, to have a conversation. And uh and admittedly, there was a certain amount of judgment in my mind, and I try and let go of any of that. I'm not a judgmental person by nature, but you can't help it. Also, I'm when I'm painting in places, my back is to the crowd, my face is to the wall. I'm in a vulnerable position. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, 
so anyway, I try and pay enough attention, be mindful or whatever. And, um, and he just walked up to me and, um, aside from the physical thing where this guy was way bigger than me and could beat the crap out of me in a heartbeat. Um, I just, he walked up to me and he said, um, uh, nice bees. Mm-hmm. just calmly and then I said thanks and uh, he said me and my mom were sitting around the kitchen table over breakfast talking about what's going on with the bees and you know we realized we have a little plot of land in the backyard that we could plant with native flowers and he wow. and then he said what do you think about I think he said echinacea and black-eyed Susans and various flowers for the area mm-hmm. and so we ended up in a full conversation about native flower planting in eastern north carolina which Uh if you you know just watching us and he was like 20 years 25 years younger than me possibly maybe only like 20 years old i don't even know but he was young you know was not the guy you would think would be coming up and talking to me about flowers and but there we were and it was really an incredibly powerful experience for me in recognizing the power of this work to connect people, you know, don't you feel like you've heard that kind of, um, prejudgment too, with just bees themselves. I mean, I feel like, uh, so many, uh, kids that I've worked with and taught, uh, you know, uh, raising honeybees and keeping bees and done different lessons with the, the initial reaction is fear and misunderstanding and judgment and, and, and kind of ignorance around what, honeybees even are first of all like the difference between species and and uh the 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 kind of um actual uh risk assessment you know is is usually way off the charts like people kind of weigh the risk way much faster and higher than they would uh with the actual um benefit of bees so um and i think that i completely agree and i think what you're talking about is is there's that speed that bees have that -hmm. people react to they come zip they come flying at you and that Mm -hmm. no matter what it is if it's a baseball people jump you Mm -hmm. know like it doesn't and that energy for me is where taking the mural site and just what you were talking about before take the time to look at every hair on the leg of the bee Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to counteract that reaction you know Mm -hmm. because so much about of my work is about being in one place um Mm -hmm. and staying there long enough for something to change appearance to somebody Mm -hmm. you know it's that and that you know it i found to be really powerful people change Mm -hmm. their mind a little bit even if it's just a little bit and it's the individual bees, like I was saying before, they are really beautiful to look at. But the thing about um, beehives that has really fascinated me, and I think many people who do keep bees, is the whole, you know, that you're, and the way that you paint them too, that they're in these formations mm-hmm. that um, suggest kind of a, a group intelligence or a communal intelligence that that bees possess. Um, and so, uh, hmm. so, (laughs) so how does that factor into like when you're designing and you're thinking about relating to people that walk by? I think for, there's a couple of parts to it. The first for me is my own journey as an artist. Um, 
you know, that first little experience with that bee and coming across the idea of the altruistic suicide, like where they fly off for the good of the hive if they feel sick in the hive. And really considering both things at once, I realized my own life was out of balance with that. I mean, I'm a self-absorbed artist, you know, I'm alone 90%. I mean, it's been 25 years painting by myself in people's homes, mm-hmm. you know, so, or in wherever businesses or there'd be people around, but I was pretty mm-hmm. much working by myself. And, um, and I liked it that way for a long time. And, um, mm-hmm. and then, but this work began with a recognition in myself that that was out of balance. Mm-hmm. And then making that correlation between my own life being out of balance with other people and saying, where are, um, where's the bigger picture of what we're doing collectively every day out of alignment with the even bigger picture of the world, mm-hmm. you know, cause mm-hmm. you can look at this in levels. Um, mm-hmm. um, and then, so beginning the work started to like that first design with the wave the bees forming into some shape that was just Mm -hmm. this subtle movement forward you know Mm -hmm. um and those were the first images that came up for me and i was like wow this is really interesting you know and that and then i kept going but then you have the job site what happens when and big part of this year's initiative is going to be about creating even more for people to do and experience and engage with at the mural sites you know like actually helping with painting and yeah going to another level with that we've did some of that last year but i'm going to try and do even more of it but also show films show like marla spivak's video um Mm -hmm. and that's a ted talk right yeah Mm -hmm. and um have shows of other parts of the initiative's work um like the every bees i'll be showing um like just have like a wine and water opening outside with the bees lit up in trees you know um Mm -hmm. and just find different ways for people to engage um yeah isn't that funny like uh so many projects get launched and they 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 um they get sort of tagged under the the heading of community based or something, mm-hmm. you know. But I think there's so it's so difficult to even know what community means sometimes. Like, are you talking about the immediate community? Or are you talking about engaging with a specific community around whatever art you're making or whatever project? You know, um, I think that's the beauty of the initiative because it engages with directly locally with mm-hmm. whoever is there. But every local mural, I, I reiterate this over and over again, that they are just one brushstroke in the piece that is a 50,000 bees and it's global. Mm-hmm. You know, so they are never so highfalutin to think that that's, that's any more special than any other mural anywhere else. It's all mm-hmm. just one big project that I'm in the process of creating. It's all about the process, right? I mean, yeah, and and letting it open up and change along the way and making decisions and, you know, forgiving yourself when you're like, oh, could have done that a little better, you know, or, but we're still here going, you know, and um, all that stuff that comes with it. Well, I'm glad you mentioned process because one of the things I wanted to ask about was this, this idea of a swarm and the swarm is a metaphor. 
but also swarm as just this kind of bizarre feat of nature mm-hmm. that happens normally with bees, but to humans is just so unsettling. Um, so I've experienced a bee swarm once before. I actually made a, a little video about it, and um, I was lucky enough to get to work with a bee expert to capture the swarm and start a new hive with it. And uh, and it was a it, thank you, and it was a um, a really profound experience. And I and it's a process that I went through where I had to confront kind of a basic primal fear, mm-hmm. you know, that comes up with with wildlife in general, but mm-hmm. specifically with bees. And so for you, <clears throat> I know you've written, you've thought about this idea of a swarm, and um, so how does that work for you? Is it, as a metaphor or as a kind of, um, as a, what's the word? I almost said icon, but that's not quite right. Symbol? I guess as a symbol. The, how do I put this? Well, there was a couple things that fascinated me about the swarm to begin with. Um, there, Bert from Bert's Bees, actually, the the guy, he got into bees because a swarm landed on the fence post of his farm in Maine. Mm. And I think that was the first time I started to pay attention to the idea. I've never to this day experienced one, but Mm -hmm. Bert had left New York city and gone to, um, Maine. Uh, and he had gone by somewhere else and studied with a beekeeping guru. So he knew how to beekeep and someone had given him hives, but he had no bees. And then these bees swarmed onto a fence post. And he was quoted as saying something like, well, when, um, when I was ready, the bees came. And he mm-hmm. considered it an act of God. And um, so that, that kind of fascinated me. So I started looking into what really is a swarm. And because um, I had no knowledge of it. And mm-hmm. it's the healthy expansion of a hive that is thriving. So when a hive... I always thought the word swarm is is not really the best word because it it kind of has a negative connotation in our culture, right? Well, it's, it, if you look at it, it, yes, it can, but it, it has, um, it sort of encompasses this whole thing and what people picture is when they're flying around right? Mm -hmm. Or when they're in the ball. But the swarm is actually a process. And Mm -hmm. I actually just found out, I always thought the queen led the swarm. Um, That's what I assume too. It's not true. I I just found out that um, what happens is a certain amount of bees leave the hive and start flying around like crazy. That's all the bees flying around like crazy. And none of them will touch each other or bump into each other. It's all like a friggin' Mozart concerto going on, even though it looks like chaos. And they have a certain way that they do it. And basically, they're running interference. So then the queen dives into the middle of them. And it's so the numbers are there that like it's most unlikely that the queen would get killed. Yeah. And um, wow. Okay. So they're creating sort of a smoke screen mm -hmm. for her. Yeah. So it's all like just running around in circles. They're not attacking anything. Wow. You know, and they've got a little bit of honey in their stomach um, because they're bringing it to the next. They don't know if they're going to be thirty minutes or 
um, three days out on, Mm -hmm. you know, they always go 30, like 30 feet to 300 yards ish um, Mm -hmm. and stop. And they, that's when they form the ball of bees and with the queen in the middle. And so they're protecting and then all the scouts go out and find a new home and then they fly off again to, to that home. Mm -hmm. So that whole process is the swarm. And they left in the first place because of overpopulation inside the hive, right? I don't know if it's considered overpopulation, but they get to a point where they naturally are ready to expand, like anything mm-hmm. else growing. Um, it just needs to take over a bigger space. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know all the science end of that, of, but it is like two-thirds of the bees leave, and the queen knows somehow to lay three new queens um Mm -hmm. and then those three will one will usually hatch first and then just know instinctively to destroy the other two um before they even hatch yeah and yeah so i mean you neither you or i are bee experts obviously and i'm learning as i go i'm in my fourth year of beekeeping and every year i slap my forehead like oh that Mm would have been nice to have known last year but that's part of it too. Um, but I do remember looking for, uh, swarm cells, they call them. So like you said, there could be, you know, two or three, uh, new queen cells, swarm cells at the bottom of one of the frames. Mm -hmm. And if you see that, you know, like, Oh, they're, they're about, they're signaling to swarm, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so either prepare for it or, or try to prevent it or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, um, so, so I, I know I read, I think I read on your blog or something that you said that when the bees are swarming, they, they place themselves and their precious queen in an extremely vulnerable position for the possibility of growth. Not the, not the inevitability, but the possibility because they're going off on a pretty, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's uncharted waters, you know? precarious you're putting the queen in the everything becomes vulnerable when it's no longer in the hive because everything is about the hive um did you feel vulnerable when you started off on this because you left it sounds like you left a pretty steady career or at least you took a hiatus from a pretty steady career i took i don't yeah it was definitely ironically i i don't um yeah it wasn't a hiatus it was a leap you know, I just couldn't not do it. Um, Picasso used to say, uh, painting is stronger than I am. It makes me do what it wishes. And when you feel called to do something as an artist, you're just miserable if you don't follow that calling, no matter what the outside world looks like as you're doing it. So over time, I just got more and more drawn to the bees. I got more and more drawn to this work, and I just followed it. If you don't mind, I'll, I want to quote one more thing along those lines because a recent interview with this um, writer named Julia Travers, you said, as artists, we must make ourselves vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I think this is what stops many artists from flourishing. Sometimes I feel so raw that I can confuse it with depression or sadness. I have come to understand that it is a form of resistance-based fear. Once I understood that, I started revealing the artist that I am along with the art that I make. To become who we truly are, artists or whatever, is what it is all about. I think, well, there's a couple things. One is I think 
people innately have a fear of ending up alone. And I don't mean relationship alone, but mm -hmm. feeling alone in what they're doing. And so it's easier, obviously, to follow where there's lots of people already doing whatever and fit within that system. And I think in some ways that is finding the balance between that but also being true to our nature, our individuality of what, what we're here for. And sometimes just scratching and clawing and getting messy, which is what is, that's where the vulnerability is for me, is like taking these risks where I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and it's not, it's generally the process of, of getting to that is not pretty and eloquent and smooth. You know, it's, a, mm -hmm. it's jarring because we're discovering things about ourselves we didn't know. And at the same time as if it's work we're putting out there as an artist, we're being judged for it. Whether we, you can, you know, when an artist puts something truly out there that is, is a part of their, their everything, their, their belief system, their life, their purpose, the level of vulnerability that goes with that is huge. It just, I have never been a depressive person. I'm not, it's just, I don't have that by nature. And when I began this work with the bees, I was really confusing. Like, I was like, why am I getting depressed doing this? It was just such a heavy feeling of this experience and it was not serving the work. So I had to deal with it and mm. making it go away didn't seem to be an option. And, um, and there were a couple of people that were very pivotal in hearing about it and saying, I don't think that's depression at all, Matt. I think that is vulnerability. And I think the only answer you have is to lean into it with everything you have and feel the crap out of it. One thing you just said made me think of people who work in a more conventional setting or even when, when you were working as a muralist, you know, for commercial clients that you were sort of providing a service and there is that risk and vulnerability of that. But at the same time, it's very clear what the directive is, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. there's this specific thing that you're plugging into this situation. And so you're a, you're just a part of, of kind of an overall plan. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like, in any job that we have, that I've had, even if I am just a worker bee, <laughs> to, not to mm -hmm. yeah, not to throw dumb cliches around too much here, but um, but uh, there's still this feeling of like, okay, if I have a normal job, I'm secure in that, and I know what's going on, and I know what the end result is going to be, and I, there's a straight line from A to B. It's very logical, mm -hmm. but. The reality is none of us really have any control over our uh, situations. I mean, things the rug gets pulled out from under us constantly mm -hmm. in little ways and in big ways. I mean, jeez, uh, I don't know. For the last couple of weeks, I've been feeling a little unsettled myself. I don't know what it is. It's something in the air. Mm -hmm. um, could be political. Could be uh, apocalyptic. But at any rate, um, you know, I, the thing I, the thing I uh, sort of that still sticks in my brain as a former artist, art student person who's now doing something completely different. But 
that sticks in my brain is that idea of when you're an artist and you're a creative person, you're practicing that vulnerability over and over and over every time. Like mm-hmm. every time you sit down to write or you start something visual or whatever it is creatively, you're just practicing that vulnerability over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, And see, I think that, well, I don't want to cut you off, but I think that is so humongously important for a very specific reason. Because if if you want to have anybody, like, be able to move to the next level themselves, somebody's got to go there and shine some light on what that is in order for someone to feel safe enough to go there. Mm-hmm. You know, and artists, for whatever reason, we're called to do that on top of, you know, create something out of nothing every single day. It's just what we are. I think artists are like the coolest. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I I just think they'll change the world. I'm writing a little bit yeah. of, about a chapter of like, you know, a book that sort of explores this idea. And yeah. um, because artists, for whatever reason, have been tamped down in history right. you know they where it's very recent that we're thought of as like being that powerful right you know so it's it's just a thing that we're we're hopefully coming into um well and artists get a bad rap sometimes like in terms of gentrification right so they'll be pioneers in a neighborhood because they're willing to uh, go into a, a neighborhood that they feel that the rest of uh society feels a little uncomfortable about towing into and you know artists are like well it's cheap and i can create my own culture here and um but they're kind of blazing a trail in that way Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. but what you're talking about is so positive because in in difficult times we need visionary people who are willing to just ask questions they're Mm -hmm. not necessarily providing solutions like do you feel like you're asking more questions or do you feel like you're starting to venture into the realm of answers? I mean, I think all the best art just allows the room to ask the questions. Um, I think it's, that's, I'm still asking questions for sure. The things Mm -hmm. that I feel like if you go into the realm of answers for, and these Mm -hmm. are the things you couldn't have, I could not have anticipated and didn't even think for half a second about as I was starting an initiative about painting bees was that, young guys were drawn to this work and young guys keep coming to me and saying, I'd love to work for you. This seems like a place where I could be passionate about my work, be doing something good for the world. And they're not even necessarily be people, you know, are but they they're artists. No, like, um, there, some are, but, um, mm-hmm. the, the, the bulk of them. And it's, it's, pushing me to graduate to the level of being the more the leader of this and creating Mm -hmm. a place that holds an anchor of energy where people could be drawn to it and come and and grow there you know doing the work you could have easily called it matt willie's bee experiment but you didn't you called it the good of the hive right right off the bat you're implying that this is not you know this is obviously bigger than you and Mm -hmm. So it's natural that it's going to grow in mm-hmm. some way. Right? But being able to, to go back to the vulnerability, being able to hold that vulnerability to a certain level allows people to engage with it. 
mm-hmm. you know, because it's it, they don't have to enter on whatever level the person at the head of it is feeling. They can that's enter. A, that's a good distinction right there. You're, yeah, go on. Talk about that. Um, I think there's, I mean, this is just my own philosophy. I mean, I'm getting, I'm not a kid anymore. And, um, mm-hmm. and I actually like being in the place of um, being able to mentor somebody on like, okay, just most of the time you're just saying stay calm and keep going. Mm-hmm. But like holding an energy of don't like go change everything around you necessarily. Stay where you are and see what changes you can make right where you are. You know, mm. it's simple. And the the mural site and the mural, uh, it outpictures it. You know, we show up and we, we're what there. What do you mean it outpictures it? It means that energy of that, the the anchor, the mm-hmm. I'm not normal in that I, I could easily be going in with 20 artists, have hired out everybody, I could figure out a business plan that we could whip through a hundred cities in six months, you know, you could like barnstorm the whole, the whole country. Yeah. But this whole idea is much simpler than that. We're using other ways to engage people, but like on a bigger level, but keep the, the, the initiative and the energy nice and at a good slow pace. Mm -hmm. So you can slow down and catch on. It's like trying to jump on a speeding train or it's the train just kind of trucking along. You're walking along. Okay. Jump on. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that's the energy we're going for and creating an anchor um, because so much one of the fascinating things I'm learning about bees, um, I reread um, Jacqueline Freeman's book, uh, The Song of Increase. She's okay. a master beekeeper um, out west and she uh, she actually communicates with the bees and um she talks about how... How does she do that? How does she communicate? She's a little bit clairvoyant, but she's also been working with bees very closely from... Um, she's a biodynamic, uh, is that the right word, farmer? And uh-huh. she just has a real, like, like almost... She's not Native American, I don't think, but she um, has that type of relationship with the earth and nature. So Uh she listens closer than most people would in their lifetime. And so what she hears, you know, you can look at that, however, clairvoyance or, um, logic and paying attention. It can come in as that as well. But Mm -hmm. she talks about how the bees really, they're, they're, they're best when they're in one place. You know, mm-hmm. and then they map out that landscape. They become a part of the landscape of where they are. Mm-hmm. So they're not just pollination machines that you can carry around and, and pollinate different things and expect them to be. That's, that's negating a huge part of what they are. Which in that scenario you just described happens to be the normal uh, method that most of the food that we consume that's sold in grocery stores is grown Mm -hmm. that bees hives are saran wrapped together and stuck on trucks and giant pallets and driven across the country every year um to pollinate almonds and fruit and vegetables and a third of the food that we eat Mm -hmm. and that's a reality that we have to face as a culture that yes we want to save the bees but actually we also need to look at just how are we how are we managing this whole system and what's broken about this whole system? Mm-hmm. But going back to this woman, 
Um, it's really interesting idea of listening and, and communicating. So is she one of the people you would describe as a bee priestess? I know I've heard that word before. I don't know if she considers herself a bee priestess. And I, um, um, I keyed in with people talking about bee priestesses in that sense, really. I mean, I have a background in um, Greek mythology. Um, mm-hmm. And I even, I did a painting years and years ago of the Oracle of Delphi. And um, she was considered the queen bee and all of her eunuch um, priests. Okay. Um, and this was, she was, or is the most powerful woman in the history of the world. She okay. was regularly telling kings and, you know, leaders of armies, do this, do that. And they were doing it. And she had, she was a lineage. She wasn't just one woman. Um, hmm. She was a lineage that of um, priestesses. And that I think, I mean, I don't know all the details on, I've just, this is something that's coming to focus recently is that there's mm-hmm. these amazing, incredible women that are following like a path of, of the lineage of the connection of the hive and the feminine energy. Because one of the things that is really out of balance right now in the world is the masculine and feminine energies of things. And just a little bit. Just, just a, a little, little bit, bit, right? Just a touch. Yeah. However, just, if I can take a little side tangent, when I marched in Chicago, along with uh, tens of thousands of women uh, for the Women's March, it was, uh, it was energy. You know, I can't mm-hmm. put it any other way. Mm-hmm. It was just walking and flowing in rivers of energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really don't know how else to describe it. So I feel like, uh, you know, if there's any silver lining to today's uh, kind of uh, today's situation, then that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the energy of women that that it is just is powerfully coming forward. So. Mm-hmm. Going back to this Greek mythology idea, sorry to go off on a little side. No, I, but on your side note, I just want to say also that the thing that I'm finding the most solace in right now is um, even as chaotic and ungrounded as everything seems right now, mm-hmm. there is, and I've talked about this before, but there is such beauty in repairing what is wrong that I, that's where I find the most solace is like, especially like the women's March had this element of we're going to begin to repair, not like it was just so peaceful, you know, it was like, okay, it's time to start repairing. And, and as human beings aligning with that kind of creative energy, that is the woman like that, that feminine side is, beautiful so the whole experience could be incredibly beautiful those gentle shifts are so powerful that's another thing the bees teach us is that it's not always some giant movement it's little Mm -hmm. like i'm really getting obsessed with the spark of creation that happens with every bee that hits you know that pollinates and is drawn to a flower right Mm -hmm. there is this it, the original spark of of create creation every time a bee touches a flower you know like it's 
and the they're both this is a huge part of the work going forward is agreements right like mm. i'm noticing that when people show up at wet at at mural sites there is this natural tendency to agree when they're looking at the bees you mean agree on anything uh, conversation or how they feel about it or what do you, what do you mean anything like the energy when you're looking because the bees are in every neighborhood on the planet right and so mm-hmm. they're they aren't anybody's they aren't politicized they aren't anything other than this they're like just the bees so nobody is put in a position of defensiveness when you're talking about bees mm-hmm. you know i mean some maybe and a you can be a science denier but you can't deny that bees pollinate our yeah. food and that they're essential on a certain yeah. level and it doesn't even deny whatever all those arguments about climate change any of that it's irrelevant mm-hmm. just bees are very very simple in that way so there is something that happens when people walk up and they're looking at these the mural and they're t- with they're talking about something together that is over there and i believe we're remembering by doing this work how to agree which i think we've we're gotten remembering how to you, so we've forgotten how to agree on anything, something on anything. anything like i mean this this is slightly off topic maybe but you're i was watching this this occurred to me for the first time when i was watching the vice presidential debates and i was like okay it looked like um well, I'm not even going to use names. One of them looked like he was going to throw up because he knew he had to say, well, I kind of agree with what you're saying just for half a second. And bring, him, bring himself to some sort of middle ground. Yeah, and people, if you look at the debates, people used to have you know, political figures 30 years ago, 40 years ago. They would say, you know, I agree with what you're, this part of what you're saying, but here's how I differ, and this is what mm-hmm. I think. There was a, okay, we're establishing we're all on the same planet here, and then we talk about how things might be different or change. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's like we've forgotten how to agree that we're all here as human. Do you mind if I quote you from um, your blog for a second? Yeah, go ahead. I was just reading it this morning, and I pulled this out. You said, I have painted in liberal communities and conservative communities. I have talked with people that have mansions and people that live in cardboard boxes, literally. I have talked with three-year-olds, 90-year-olds, and every age in between, and I have noticed something pretty awesome with almost every conversation. Um, And then you say, relax and remember that it is possible to all agree on something, and it can feel good and comforting to do so. I just love that when I read that, um, Matt, that this is such a, central part of your work Mm -hmm. um and that's for me when i think of transformative art or transformative action you know like i feel like you just described it Mm -hmm. in a a basic experience i completely yeah that's it and in order the pro the the issue is that the problem is gigantic so we need a lot of people a lot of people to agree Mm -hmm. on what's going on you know and um you know if the problems were smaller you wouldn't need as much Mm -hmm. to counteract it you know but the women's march needed that many women you know and i love and i love that honeybees are essential for all the reasons we've talked about and that we know and it's just kind of common knowledge now 
Um, and so that, that, the livelihood part of it and the, um, the symbiotic nature that they exist with humans or that we exist with them, I should say, they would probably be fine if we weren't around, to be perfectly honest. Well, I'll jump in and say, I don't know how, how fine they would be without us. I think they would survive, hmm. but I've come to realize that I think they would, it wouldn't be like a human emotionally hmm. sad, but mm-hmm. there's all this mythology and stories about they react when there's like a say there's a farmer and he's got 10 beehives or whatever. If there's big fights going on in the house, the bees react to it. Really? Where did you, where did you read that? There's where, tons where did that come of from? stories about this. Just Google it. I mean, it's like there's, you hear about it all the time back in, um, I'm going to Scotland this, um, fall. I'm going to be doing a mural with the Scottish beekeepers association and no kidding. Yeah, there's, but there's this a is lot your first overseas, huh? That'll be my first overseas. Yeah, there's lots more overseas to come, and I am not revealing all of the projects yet, but this okay. this one is, I've got the absolute yes from them. So, cool. But when you look into the history of the honeybee in the UK, like people communicate. When someone, when the beekeeper would die, the first thing the family would do is go tell the bees. Hmm. You know, like it, they become a part of like connection. You know, and, and I, the word connection is really, it's so overused nowadays. It's a tough one to like, mm-hmm. to really communicate with, um, mm-hmm. but it is that interconnectedness or whatever that I really believe they do know we're here and they, they're pulling for us. You know, that my energy with the bees is like, I hear them like, come on, you guys, you can get your shit together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. We're taking mm-hmm. a hit here and we're, we're here to teach you. And when we shift that perspective of like, I, I don't often talk about going out there to save the bees, like, because I think that's the wrong energy. I think interesting. Yeah. Where my job is to like connect with the bees, bring people into engagement with them. Like really even the bee is more of a conduit to, helping people remember uh, and rediscover their connection with the natural world because it's in us, you know? Um, You're right on. I mean, I I like to think about agriculture, especially urban agriculture and and gardening and kind of the food revolution. Mm -hmm. Part of it is it's not about the food. It's Mm -hmm. about cultivating the human society it's about how do we how do we restitch together the fabric of human society in a way that's something we all agree on like you were talking about the bees we all agree on food that we need food in some form or another mm-hmm. so now that we agree on that what's the best way to do it that um doesn't harm our bodies doesn't harm our communities mm-hmm. um doesn't harm the larger systems that that don't even need to exist if you kind of whittle things down to their essential elements. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really one of the powerful things about your work. And you were talking about connection. You're right. That's one of those words that can show up on a t-shirt in a thousand different ways. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard. It's one of those words that's hard to uh, describe with words because it's not something that you can really describe. It's something that you need to understand in your heart and in your body and in all of the way that you interact with the world, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so that's where it, 
ultimately gets into a spiritual realm, but it doesn't even have to. It, you don't even have to call it spiritual. It just is. Like you can't deny that we can't really exist without pollinators. And so once you acknowledge that, you just accept the fact that we are interbeing with everything on some level. Am I right? Yeah, that's totally it. And it becomes this, this way to remember to be that in all other things as well. Like, don't take the other stuff for granted. Like, it's, it's a relationship like anything else. And, um, um, and being able to use that to, like, then hopefully heal some other areas, because it's certainly not the only thing and going on. But, um, but I also really think it can be a blast. Like, I mm-hmm. think that it'll be, that's a big part of this initiative going forward is, like, I want to paint big, beautiful bees and, you know, throw some parties, like have it be really fun, you know? Um, And I'm talking to some people out in LA about throwing a big party out there. And, you know, like there's just, there are ways. You can throw a party in Chicago. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely co-host that one. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to Chicago for sure. Um, Yeah. 2018, I think is our Chicago year, but. um, Yeah. Well, speaking of fun, I mean, I love the skateboarding and I wanted to ask you like, um, so you have your skateboards that you sell the swarm boards that are beautifully, are they painted by hand or are those, uh, mass produced? Um, they're mass produced, but the, um, there's a couple, there's the logo board that one I hand painted in the studio, but the swarm board line is going to be, um, it'll eventually be snowboards, surfboards and skateboards, but it's, um, it's going to be all designs that are extracted from the murals that are created. Cause I really want to like, I was like, why am I in the studio repainting? You know what I mean? <laughs> Just clicked one day. I'm like, this is kind of cool on this wall. And then I played with it in Photoshop and I was like, Oh my gosh, it's so much better. Sometimes I just overthink things, you know? And, um, so just that well, the point but, yeah. is to make a bunch of skateboards and, and, uh, yeah. And have it um, be have fun. It. And uh, I think I mentioned this before, but one of my uh, kind of uh, one of my big secret ulterior motives for my son is to hopefully teach him to skateboard or at least inspire him to try skateboarding at some point. Because I know as a kid when I was skateboarding, I loved it because it was like a sport that I could do, but it was creative and it was individual or I could do it with my friends and I could be totally goofy and silly about it and make up my own thing. Um, so what's your skateboarding background? My skateboarding background is nothing. I had no, (laughs) not, you know, I had never had a skateboard. I skied, you know, I was a big jock, but I never got into skateboarding. And, um, the, uh, um, well, I wouldn't say I was a big jock, but I was big into lacrosse. I was like, you know, I, okay. I was into sports for sure. And, um, but the, uh, but I never got into skateboarding, but my printmaker, Joshua Niven, who runs Asheville Fine Art Printing, um, super talented photographer and printmaker, um, he's a huge skateboarder. And he just one day was like, you know, Matt, you really should make skateboards. I think it'd be cool. And so now we're coming out with a video this spring with about Foundation Skate Park here. We painted a ramp. We might keep repainting that one ramp because it's it's just kind of a cool spot. On. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of just I keep the ideas keep changing for me. But we're we're doing another interview. Um, 
the next couple of weeks that'll then when we launch that video this spring it's cool we had a professional skateboard videographer um shoot it so it's got a lot of tricks a lot of the whole nine yards so it's going to be a thing um that I'm really excited about. Plus, it's something that people can do. Well, I love that you. I love your positive attitude. I love your positive um, manifestation of your positive attitude. You know, I mean, that's the thing that I love to watch as your work evolves. You know, we haven't even met each other in person, but I feel like, you know, I've been a fan of your work for a while now, and I've been following this this whole journey. And uh, that's the thing that I keep coming back to is like, you know. Even just today, I was I was really looking forward to. I get to talk to Matt Willie, and I get to get sort of an injection of ins- inspiring uh, energy. Mm, you know? That's the best compliment I've possibly ever gotten. I appreciate well, that, and I'm a huge fan of your work too. So, oh, thanks. Right back at you. Your writing is fantastic, and um, well, thanks. Let's, let's keep going. Yeah. Well, and that's that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people who are doing um, beautiful work around me that can kind of like inform it, you know, because I feel like we're building this culture one step at a time, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and you're certainly out there doing something that isn't often done. And so you have to you have to sort of piece it together with other other uh, images of beauty along the way. Right. And so that's really what I'm what I hope we can do with this podcast or with just, you know, reading other people's writing and, and just, and just keep that, keep that wave going. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. It's like, we're all building this awesome group of the super friends. <laughs> like, it's just, it's cause it's positive. It's just all really, there's amazing people, you know, we could, I'm sure between the two of us sit here and talk for three hours about the other people doing amazing things. And, yeah. but it's really, I mean, I've got an assistant for the first time in my life right now, and he's 25 years old and an Afghanistan veteran and is psyched to be participating in a job where he feels like he's, um, his, his work has a purpose. Yeah. And you, miss, you mentioned this to me last time, and I'm glad you brought it up again because I'd forgotten this, but you said you put out an ad or something or, or a job. <laughs> a job <laughs> I didn't put an ad out, but I told whatever. everyone I knew I was yeah. looking for, like I had imagined like on that show Ugly Betty, like I just pictured this like super... I don't watch TV, but yeah. Well, that sure, was this show about the fashion <laughs> world, and all the assistants were perpetually on their phone, on social media, they okay. were like radar from MASH, you know, like they uh-huh. were ahead of you. They were their entire life was about making your world go better. You know, uh-huh. like and I yeah. was like, Okay, that's what I'm looking for, you know? And I totally did not get that. But I <laughs> <laughs> And what did you get instead? I got Something Nick you who didn't is, expect. Yeah, I got Nick who is just a a really amazing, talented, smart, good spirit who is open for this crazy crazy adventure like whatever comes up that day is where we're at you know it's it's we're making art the whole initiative is a giant piece of art so we're never sure where next month is going to go <laughs> you know we can basically map out the year but it's still all almost perpetually uncharted territory so I needed a specific personality he's really really zen compared to me you know like I'm kind of like 
hyper, you know, I'm like, okay, what are we moving to next? And then I get really quiet when I'm working. So you compliment each other. Yeah, totally. And there's not a lot of people I could hang out with as much as I hang out with him. And, and well, that's probably just as important as his ability to, uh, I don't know, like run an art studio or manage schedules or whatever like that that uh, counterbalance must be as at least as important, right? Yeah, absolutely. And making sure like the, he, he runs our shipping department. So if a t-shirt order comes in, he handles it. So he's mm-hmm. super organized. Like that's the military thing, you know, he's got it all down, you know, like, and it's clean down there where all the products are, you know, so it's just like it's Nick's domain, you know, and I don't mess with it. He just gets it done. So it's great. Yeah. We're building this group. Yep. Well, I love it, man. You're, I love that you're bringing together the most unlikely people for one common cause that is uh, continually being defined. And I hope it never really gets defined. I hope it just keeps evolving right. and changing and flowering. And I can't wait to watch it, Matt. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate you. And we thank you, man. And we are going to meet in person. And I actually, you know, when we off the off the record, we'll talk more about um, some exciting stuff that's going on in Chicago. And I've got a couple walls in my mind's eye that, uh, you know, I want those to be at least considered for the future. So we'll talk, man. Awesome. We will. Cool. Cool. To hear more episodes featuring interviews with agriculturists, artists, and activists on the front lines of the food movement, and to read my essays on everything from zucchini to zen, visit dharmaonthefarm.com. Until next time, farm on.